I want to share an issue that I feel is compelling and very, very important. And I grew out of my conversations with the seventh grade. I really feel like the main issue with the middle school kids now for several years is them coming to me and sharing with me, and this goes back several years, that they don't believe in God. And what they mean is that we teach them Bible stories and teach them prayers, and they don't believe in the water splitting at the sea and standing up um, like in the movies. They don't believe that God is speaking out of a cloud to Moses. And I think our main pivot, mine is a longtime Hebrew school teacher in the past, I would say, It's a wonderful thing that you don't have to believe in God to be Jewish. And that's been our pivot. While profound to the generations of the children and grandchildren of immigrants, for whom the holidays and culture and ethics of Judaism were the essence, we must wonder whether this seemingly brilliant solution hasn't contributed to declining synagogue attendance and affiliation, but even something even more worrisome. Today, more than ever, I've witnessed, especially our middle school students, but also elementary and definitely high school students, really beset with anxiety, self-doubt, and despair about the future. And it has been accentuated, and like so many things, brought to the fore by the pandemic. And we have to ask ourselves, was our explanation of Judaism without God really what was best for them? Really, what is best for them? Or is it what has been best for us? Do they need God now more than ever? Possibly in a way our previous generations here in America perhaps have not. Every year I get together and we say, we're redoing curriculum. We want to make this better, this better. We want the kids to learn that prayer. We want to teach as part of history, history. What is the one thing we want to teach that we haven't been teaching enough and focus on it? A couple of years ago, it was Jewish diversity and inclusion, really taking on how different Jews, Jews of color, Jews of all um, queer identifications along different spectrums in different countries are Jewish. Last year, it was anti-Semitism. And I was very proud of Aya and her class. It wasn't easy material. We had a special um, unit really focusing on anti-Semitism, where it comes from, we, they need to know it. And this year, Heather and I, this summer, Heather and I have already met early in the summer to decide that for next year, it's going to be a relationship with God for our children. They need it. So here in today's reading, we have what we call a priestly reading of God. We may think that, well, there are only two ways. There's the literal reading of God and then something metaphorical, which usually metaphorical is a word that tends to be reductionistic to something like values. But is that really the way our ancestors viewed it? When we read through sources that are not in today's parasha, let's say the J source, the spirituality of the connection with God is one of covenant. It is one of interpersonal relationships. It is one of what a family stands for. And it's one of commitment to what we will stand for in the future. And in today's parasha and the priestly sense of God, God is a sense, our relationship with God is one of aligning with the order of the universe. There's an order of harmony and of peace where moral values are as real as physical values. There's a sense of holiness and mystery, harmony and balance, 
tiferet, chesed and gevura and balance, mixtures of light and darkness, which make up reality. And in that harmony, even though sometimes it is disrupted by injustice, the justice is never absent. And our relationship with God is one of continual invitations to align with it by channeling holiness to bring balance. And in this sense, the word that we often translate miracles is really more accurately, in my opinion, translated as signs. How do we work with the signs that the universe provides? Not the water standing up in walls. And in this sense, we learn to connect with how am I in touch with the universe? In a way in which I feel full, I feel shalom, I feel I hear what needs to be heard. In so many parts of Judaism, the service in particular this morning aligns with this position. It is an embrace of God in a sense as the universe or the universe as one name of God, a sense of signs and invitations, a sense that God is not a thing, but the very process of the universe of which we are a part and our own spirit is a part of that process. And God speaks through invitations. Here in the final verse of Nassau, and here I quote from a brilliant Bible scholar. I didn't come up with any of this myself, um, which is a shame, but it's pretty, pretty darn smart stuff. So I was a little bit above me. I absolutely love it. Benjamin Summers, one of the great theologians and biblical scholars of our time. And uh, I was so happy when he left other universities to go to the Jewish Theological Seminary and train our next set of rabbis. Brilliant, brilliant scholars. So anything good I say at this point on, it's all him. He points out at the end of the parsha, at the end of what I read in verse 89, easy to miss, is it describes what it means that God speaks to Moses. And he asks us to think of how this is understood, not only by the rabbis. I mean, if you go to someone as influential as Maimonides, we're already that we're not talking about a literal act of speaking. I'm talking, he's talking about the priestly source itself. It says that what transpires between God and Moses at the tent of meeting uses the word, it's the voice that Moses hears, the voice is God midabering. And you may say, hey, I know the word midabering. It occurs a thousand times. It just means to speak. How does that solve anything? And as Benjamin Summer points out, here, there's an extra dalit. The dalit has a mapik in it. It is a doubled consonant which means that it is not the normal word midaber. This midabering is in, and I'm very grateful for my love of grammar from my father, Rabbi Evan Kane, who joins us by streaming, uh, teaching me it. It's not the P-L, but it's the Hipa-L. And what that means is it's not the normal word and it has a different meaning and Benjamin Summer runs us through it. It only occurs about three times in the entire Tanakh in this form. And he argues that here in this moment that I read, it is the priestly source in a way, communicating the sense of the order of the universe. What does it mean that God speaks? He points out it can have a couple of, you have a couple of grammatical options. Hipael, I'm sorry, it can be a, recipro- a reciprocal action. In other words, as he says, I'll read, the Hipael construction carries several types of meaning. It can describe a reciprocal action. That is an action that goes back and forth between two parties. In modern Hebrew, the verb, for example, mitkatev means to correspond or exchange mail. And that's an example of the verb. And so how was, what would it mean here? 
It's a communication that goes back and forth between God and Moses. And so our relationship with God is not one of passive listening to an external voice. It's a relationship of dialogue. As I would say, a relationship of communing. Another possibility is the Hippa'el can convey ongoing action. In other words, this would translate as Moses hearing the voice continually speaking to him. What if we taught our middle school students or high school students that their relationship with God is to listen to their inner voice that is always in conversation with God? What is it to have a relationship with your own inner voice How do you hear things you're not hearing that are there to support and sustain and make you whole in shalom that are continually speaking to you? And Rashi takes that up, saying that, yes, here it means that the voice would speak to itself and Moses would hear on his own. And yet another form of the Hippal can mean that we are involved in a voice that is both giving and taking information, that for one that allows for continuous rather than occasional communication. It's always there. It's overhearing internal dialogue. It's not a voice speaking in the normal sense of the word. The phrasing of our verse indicates that its description applies to all the times God communicated laws to Moses. And therefore, as Maimonides says in the Guide for Perplexed, God's not literally speaking. Whenever the Torah refers to God as speaking, we need to understand that something much more complex and mysterious is occurring. Something that is within us, but connects to that which is outside of us. It is this connection and these connections that we need to be pushing ourselves for ourselves to have those relationships with our own inner voices. And then together lead our children to a relationship with God that gives us, as we wish in the end of the priestly blessing, a sense of peace in their heart, in a sense that they are never alone. Shabbat Shalom.